All right, all right. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Gospel Truth. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for joining me. And today I have a great interview, a great opportunity, second opportunity to also to interview Dr. Jason Lyle. We're talking about his new book that just, I believe, came out June or July. I believe it's July, uh, titled Fractions. Um, and we're, we're uh, fact, uh, fractions, should I say? And and we're, we're uh, frac, fractals. <laughs> Got that one all messed up. Fractals. I'm sorry, fractals. So we got an exciting show for you, and I'm just so thankful for you to join me. And as always, I do want to go ahead and encourage you to like and follow the Gospel Truth. Make sure you hit that like and that subscribe button so you can stay in loop with the Gospel Truth has going on. And also, all this content is not only on YouTube, but on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So make sure that you are jumping on those platforms and supporting the ministry with a like or follow on those platforms. Also, all this content is on podcasts. So once you get done watching the video and getting your feel of the video, and looking at Dr. Jason Lyle, looking at me, go ahead and flow over to the podcast so that you can also just listen to the audio. All right, what a great choice you have there. As always, I do want to let you know shows that are coming up here in the future. So we got plenty. All right, coming up next after this one, uh, in a couple days, we got is the Angel of Yahweh, also Yahweh. I have Taylor Stewart versus Jeremy Wong, and that's going to be a great debate. So make sure you're looking out for that one. After that, God is one person, Matt Slick versus Carlos Xavier. Uh, so make sure you check this one out. This is going to be Tuesday, September 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. After that is once saved, always saved, true. Tanner Adams versus AK Richardson. Make sure you check this one out. This is going to be a great one. AK's been on before. This is Tanner's first go round with the gospel truth. So take a look at that one when you get a chance. All right, and then following that is theistic determinism. True, Chris Date versus Dan Chapa. So an exciting one, exciting one. Make sure you you hit the subscribe for this one because it's gonna be a big, big show. All right. With that said, I I don't think Dr. Jason Lyle needs any introduction. Um, if if you are not aware of Dr. Jason Lyle, man, I don't know where you've been, man. You must have been in the cave, man, because Dr. Jason Lyle has done amazing things for the body of Christ, man. He has really, I think he's really equipped the body of Christ to approach the, the, the creation aspects from a real true scientific methodology, right? And, you know, historical grammatical interpretation of the biblical text flows in line with science, man. And, and I think that Dr. Jason Lyle has done a great job at that so i'm not gonna go with this big big old huge introduction but i think Dr. today is going to be a fun show guys today is going to be a fun show there are plenty of things when i first um when i first heard about this book i i really didn't understand what what they were i didn't know what fractals were i had zero idea um and so i dove into dr jason lyle's book i bought his book and uh was going through and i'm like oh okay that's what it is you know so and i'm gonna let him because i don't want to destroy uh his content <laughs> i don't want to murder it so i'm gonna let dr jason lyle give us a full excellent rundown of what this is and how does it point to creation how does it point to the mind of god you know because i think that's what it boils down to man so i think we're, I'm, let me bring dr jason last so he can give us the rundown on this stuff how's it going dr jason how you doing i'm good how are you doing doing well doing well thanks for joining me man i'm glad to have you back man for a second go round man thanks good to be back on 
Yeah, I mean, everyone out there, if you haven't checked out the previous interview, last time Dr. Jason Lau was on, we talked about understanding Genesis, the importance of understanding Genesis. So he also has a book titled that, Understanding Genesis. So, and it's important that you guys go check that out. And like I said, he just came out with this new book, Fractals, that released, what was it, June or July? I believe it was July, right, uh, Dr. Lau? I think it was July, yeah. J July. So, yeah. Yeah, it's recent, very recent. So, um, and Dr. J. Lyles, you've put out many books, right? I mean, many, uh, much, a lot of content so that you can equip the believer. So you can equip the believer, not only to stand against atheism, those things that come against the biblical text, those things that come against the truth of the gospel, but just from a scientific perspective as well, you have really done a great job at equipping believers to to have that evidential backup uh, to, to support the text as well. So uh, why don't you speak about that a little bit? And what was the motivation behind writing fractals? Well, I mean, as, as you mentioned, I want to encourage Christians and uh, refute this, this silly idea that to be a Christian is somehow anti-scientific. That is a very recent view. Many scientists of the past were Christians. In fact, most of the founding fathers of the various disciplines of science were Christians, and they expected to find patterns in nature because uh, God is a God of order, the biblical God, and he's created man in his image, and therefore we have the capacity, we've been given the senses and, and a mind by God to be able to probe his universe and to learn certain things about it, to be able to discover those patterns that God has put in there. So that's what I want to do today. And uh, years ago, decades ago, actually, I learned about fractals and I thought they were just amazing. I was, I was in high school when I learned about these and frankly, they had just been discovered. Uh, <laughs> so it's relatively recent discovery in mathematics, at least this particular kind of fractal, the, uh, what's called the Mandelbrot set. And I read about it and thought, this is mind blowing that it, God has put a pattern into numbers, numbers like one, two, three, four. We, we don't think about God creating numbers. We think about him creating physical things, you know, the earth and, and the oceans and so on, the stars. But God's mind is also responsible for mathematical truths. And so they reflect his character and his beauty as well. And it turns out when certain sets of numbers are, are plotted to make a map of which numbers belong to a set, the map turns out to be unbelievably beautiful and intricate and complex and really what the what the book is about is it's about exploring these these beautiful shapes and uh, it is a beautiful book it's it's certainly the prettiest one i've ever uh, certainly the prettiest one i've ever written uh, just all kinds of, of wonderful uh, beautiful color illustrations in the book it's it's designed to be kind of a coffee table style book but with sufficient information to explain what these shapes are and how they only make sense in the christian worldview so basically I want, I want two, sort of two purposes in writing the book. One is I just want to share this new universe that was discovered, a universe in the world of math that was discovered in the 1980s. I want to share it with everybody because it's awesome. It's beautiful. And then secondly, I want to challenge uh, non-Christians and encourage Christians that the Bible really is true, that only the Bible can make sense of these shapes. Cool, cool. And, that, and, that, and that's cool. That's excellent stuff right there, right? So if you can go into a little bit, because like I said, I was not aware of what a fractal was, like 
fundamentally what is it and if you can dr lau can you keep it simple for us because because I, I don't want to get too bogged down plus the audience and everything you know so i want i want us to really get down to the nitty-gritty so the average christian will be able to use this as a defense you know defense for the faith like this is design this is clearly god's creation uh speaking to his mind so could you explain to us exactly what is a fractal what is that okay a fractal is a shape that when you zoom in on it you see a smaller version of the entire shape. And perhaps when you zoom in on even the smaller version, you'll find within it even smaller versions of the original shape. So it's got a number of itself built into it. And the particular fractal that about the first third of the book explores is one called the Mandelbrot set. And sure enough, you look at the entire shape of the Mandelbrot set, but then you zoom in on it and it's got little baby versions of itself and they have baby versions and there's an infinite number of them in this mm. shape, which is not that anybody's checked, because we can't, we don't, we don't have an infinite amount of time. But this came, this came about um, through a study of uh, complex dynamics, uh, an area of mathematics, uh, in particular, where they, were just, where they were investigating this idea of chaos. A lot of people have heard of chaotic mathematics, and that, that means something a little different than just disorganization. It means that there um, are certain, certain formula that when you put a number in and you get a new number out, you put it back in and you get a new number, you put it back in, you get a new number. So you, you run it through this formula a number of times. It's called a recursive algorithm. And depending on the starting number, the, the output will either get bigger and bigger and bigger or it won't. And the surprising thing is for certain formulae, even if they're very simple, like Z squared plus C, it's a simple formula. You can't tell just by looking at the number when you put it in, if, if the sequence is gonna get big or stay small. And that was perplexing to mathematicians because sometimes two numbers that are really close to each other, like the number one and the number 1.000001, those are almost the same Ooh. formula. It gets big, you put another one in, it stays small. That's an example of chaos. So where a very small change in the initial conditions results in enormous change in outcome. And mathematicians were studying this in the, well, in the early 20th century, and they were trying to figure out, is there a pattern? And no, nobody could figure out if there was a pattern. And it, it occurred to people in the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s, to try and make a, to make a plot to see which numbers stay small when you run them through the formula and which numbers get big. And they were trying the particular formula Z squared plus C, which is the Mandelbrot set. And it occurred to people, let's make a map of which numbers belong. Now that would be tedious for a human being to do, to check every number and run it through that formula, you know, thousands mm -hmm. of times. Uh, but by the 1980s, computers were getting fast enough they could do this relatively quickly. And so people put this formula through computers to see what the map resulted. And the map that resulted was a surprise to everyone. It looked like something out of science fiction. I mean, it had this really unusual, wow. almost like a bug type shape and uh, a heart shape and then these little circles growing off of it. And they found when you zoom in on this map of the Mandelbrot set, you get these incredibly beautiful you, well, first of all, you get baby versions of it. So it is a fractal because it's got smaller versions built into the original. And then you also get these incredibly beautiful uh, seahorse type spirals and, and double double galaxy type spirals. It's, it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. And uh, so I'm hoping people will appreciate the beauty of this beauty that's built into numbers by the creator of numbers. And so uh, then one of the things the book explores then is, is uh, how do we make sense of this? And I contend that only the Christian worldview can make sense of it. 
That's excellent stuff. So in your book, you speak of the Valley of the Seahorses, right? The Valley of the Seahorses. And then you speak of, uh, I don't know if it's called Valley, but it's with the elephants. It's, a, it's like a miniature size elephants. The, the, the formulations look like an elephant. So do you mind going really to... So what exactly are we looking at when we zero in on, let's say example of the Valley of the Seahorses, what exactly are we looking at in that, in that when we zero in on that? Yeah, so it turns out some of the really pretty places in the Mandelbrots that are places where you have these little these valleys where you have one shape connected to another. You, you zoom in deep in that valley. In fact, that's the Valley of the Seahorses right there. Now, you can't see it on the overall shape, but if you zoom in on that, it looks like billions of little seahorses. And they get in fact, there's an infinite number of them. They get smaller and more intricate the deeper you go into the valley. And so mathematicians have given names to these various valleys. And most of the interesting stuff is in the valleys. So you have the Valley of the Seahorses. It looks like a seahorse on top of another one on top of another one going down and getting smaller. They're stunningly beautiful. You zoom in on them, you get baby versions of them. Incredible. On the other side of that same valley is the Valley of the Double Spirals, where you have these gorgeous, they look like, to me, they look like spiral galaxies because I'm, I'm an astronomer. So that's what I see. Uh, you zoom in on the, the, the central valley of the main, the main uh, cardioid, uh, and you get elephants getting smaller and smaller wow. and smaller. And there's an infinite number of them. You could zoom in on that, on that crevice forever. They get smaller and smaller, but there's an infinite number of elephants. And if you zoom in on any one of them, eventually you'll get to a baby version of the entire Mandelbrot set. So it's truly remarkable. And so wow. a, a good fraction of this book is just exploring these shapes and saying, here, here's come with me on this interesting ride through this fascinating universe that you didn't even know existed and enjoy the beauty of it with me. That's kind of what the first part of the book is really about. Just exploring these wonderful elephants and seahorses and scepters. And it's, it's quite amazing. That's incredible. Okay. So you got the Mandelbrot, right? You got the Mandelbrot that we will probably look at more like a heart shaped, um, more like heart shaped, but you also have, I guess the Mandelbrot that has almost like, like a almost like a triple circle or a double circle connected together so these Mandelbrot sets aren't just one one particular shape they actually broaden out more and more and more how, how can you go into that a little bit talk about that a little bit yeah that's an example of a multibrot so the the Mandelbrot shape is the one that has the heart shape and it's got the circles growing off the heart shape the heart shape is called a cardioid and that happens to be the shape you get if you maybe you've had a, one of those old spirographs where you take you take a um, circle and you roll and you put your pencil on the circle and you roll it around another circle of equal size. The shape that it traces out is a cardioid, and that's the the central feature of the Mandelbrot set. Uh, and that's produced when you check which numbers belong under algorithm to this little equation z squared plus c. And the details don't really matter so much. It's, it's a, the important thing is there's there's beauty built into numbers. And then some people have asked, well, what happens if you change the formula from Z squared plus C to Z cubed plus C? Well, you get a new shape and it also is fractal. You can, it's got baby versions of itself. And that's the one that looks like two circles that are kind of smushed together. That's a shape in mathematics called a nephroid. And that's what happens when you take a circle half the size of the original and affix your pencil to it and roll it around. You'll get sort of this, this twofold shape. And so the book explores then what happens when you examine other equations under this recursive algorithm, you don't have to know any of the details of math to enjoy the beauty of the result. And so I'm just kind of exploring, here's the universe that you get. So it's not just one new universe that we're exploring. There's an infinite number of new universes that we're exploring. And so I'm just, I'm just kind of dipping my toe in the pool a little bit and showing people some of the beauty that's built into this abstract world of mathematics 
this this universe that we're talking about it's not a universe made of atoms it's a universe that's consists of concepts and uh, so boy it's mind-blowing to think about that you can't touch the Mandelbrot set it's abstract it exists in the world of mathematics in the world of numbers and yet it's very real it does exist it has tremendous beauty and if you change the formula you just get you get more beauty you get different uh, a different universe with a different shape that that you can zoom in on forever and you literally could pick any one of these shapes and zoom in on it forever and and you'd never get to the end of it because there is no end it goes on forever and that tells us something about the mind that is responsible for these shapes it's not a human mind because we we can't go we can't think infinitely god can and so it, it that's that's why it has to be the biblical god that's responsible for these shapes because his mind is infinite his understanding is infinite the bible says so it's it, it is the it's, it's an evidence of the christian god building beauty into math that subject that most students say, oh, that's hard. Not who cares about math and when am I going to use that? Uh, maybe they'd approach it differently if you realize when you learn mathematics, you're learning about how God thinks about numbers and the relationships between them. And there is tremendous beauty in it. And that's something that I just I think everybody needs to know about this. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not a big numbers guy. And when I look at the world the first thing that doesn't the first thing that pop, does not pop in my head are numbers like oh yeah you know we got these abstract ideas of numbers you know and like you said those are those are not areas that we tend to the first thing we think of when we say god created or or the, the mind of god it's not it's definitely not um oh he created numbers um and you, you touched on the understanding of how this points to the mind of god how this points to his intelligence and, and and how he's injecting his intelligence in every aspect of creation and you you said that this could only be uh answered by the christian worldview how how is that possible what if what if we have a muslim or somebody that says well islam can answer these questions of these fractals what would you say to that dr lyle yeah, I'd say that's a, that's a non-starter. It has to be the biblical God who made man in his own image. Uh, it has to be a triune God. That's where we have the basis for numbers, because God is one in being, in nature or essence. He's three in persons. And so we can have differences. We can have unity and distinctions. And mathematics requires that. So the I'm afraid the Muslim worldview can't make sense of that, because the, the Muslim idea of conception of God, of Allah, is that he is one person and one being so you don't have a trinity you, you can't you can't therefore make distinctions like we can in the christian worldview we can account for what's sometimes called the problem of the one and the many how we have a universe that has many things in it and yet there's unity in it as well and that stems from the nature of god who is himself one in one sense and more than one in a different sense so it's it's the christian god that makes sense of these things and it's the christian god who made man in his own image and therefore we have the capacity, at least in a limited way, to think in a way that's consistent with the character of God. And he calls us to do that. And so when we think about, when we think about mathematics and when we discover mathematical truths, we're discovering something about the mind of God. We're discovering something about the way he thinks. And it's in the Christian worldview we can make sense of that because God has revealed himself to us. And, and think about the, the um, just think about mathematics in general. What, what is it? It's studying the relationship between numbers and so you have certain laws like two plus two equals four. That's a mathematical truth. No human being decided that that should be the case. It's not like human beings said, you know, I think two plus two should equal four. Because if, if we made that rule, we could have made it differently. And different cultures could, could invent different mathematics. And so in certain cultures, two plus two could equal 17. 
That's not going to work, though. That You can't build a building that works using that kind of arithmetic. It has to be God's arithmetic. And that's why it's universal, because God is the same overall. So it can't be the, the Greek gods, where there are many different gods, because then you'd have some, you know, in some parts of the world where this god rules, you'd have certain mathematics there, and then a different set of mathematics, because different gods think about things differently. But the biblical God's sovereign over the entire universe, which is why the entire universe obeys the same laws of mathematics. I can make sense of why math math is abstract. It exists in the mind. You can't touch a number. We can represent them. You know, we can, I can write down a numeral that represents a number, but, but you can't actually touch a number. It's abstract. I can have things in my worldview that are non-physical because God is non-physical in the essence yeah. of his deity. Of course, he can take on a body as he did with, with Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, God, in the, in the essence of his divinity, he doesn't require a body like we do. We're different. And, uh, and of course, it explains why mathematics doesn't change, because the biblical God does not change. Jesus Amen. Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so for that reason, 2 plus 2 will always equal 4. You can count on that. So the Christian worldview explains why we have laws of mathematics, why they apply everywhere, why they don't change with time, and how we can know about them, because God has revealed himself to us. And it's really only the Christian worldview that can make sense of all those things. No other worldview can do it. Excellent, excellent, man, man. So, uh, and and this makes me think about presuppositional apologetics, man. You know, it makes me, th it makes me, <laughs> it really makes me think about that because when we're talking about abstract ideas and things like that, you know, the Christian worldview makes sense of it. And uh, so, are you telling me, Doctor Lyle, that numbers don't evolve? Or is that what you're telling me? So, you're telling me two plus two did not equal four at uh, five. Sorry, at some point in time in past history, man. Are you telling me that, Doctor Lyle? <laughs> Yeah, and of course, and it's, it's absurd on the face of it. I mean, biologists try to explain the complexity in the world of biology by appealing to evolution. They'll say, well, yeah, sure, it's complex now, but it started very simple, and then it got more complex over time. Now, I would reject that. There's all kinds of problems with that. But my point is, you can't even, that's a non-starter with math. You can't say, well, you know, sure, fractals are complex now, but they evolved, because numbers don't evolve. It's not like right, right. It's three used to be seven, and then it evolved or whatever, or vice versa. Numbers have always been what, what they are, the, and the relationships between them are constant. And it's the Christian worldview that can make sense of that, because God does not change. Therefore, his thinking does not change. And yes, it is an application of presuppositional apologetics. I'm glad sure you Sure is, sure is. What this book <laughs> is. It's, it's presupp applied to mathematics. Certainly, is. certainly, certainly. In your book, Dr. Loud, you speak of tricon, uh, tri, tricorn? tricorn, tricorn, right? The tricorn. Mm -hmm. What? Okay, so obviously the shape is what makes it different, but mm -hmm. is there any different aspects to it that makes it stand out from uh, a Mandelbrot? Or am I pronouncing that right? Ma Mandelbrot. Ma Mandelbrot. Mandelbrot. There's the, Mandel yeah, the Mandelbrot, and then there's multibrots. Where you, where you change the formula. And the tricorn is just a different formula. Uh, that's what happens in, if instead of taking z squared, you take what's called the complex conjugate of z. And, and I won't get into the details of it. The point is it's a different formula and it, and it results in a different shape. And I, I find the tricorn to be very beautiful. It's, it has kind of a threefold uh, structure. And so there's a, that's a tricorn. And uh, it's, it, on, on the ends of it, it looks a little bit like the Mandelbrot set, but the, the inner regions are smooth. And that's not the case with the Mandelbrot set. The Mandelbrot set is infinitely wiggly everywhere. And uh, the tricorn is not. So it's, it's, an, it's just another universe to explore. So th the thing that's interesting to me about that is for any, any equation you put down, like z squared plus c, you're going to find some kind of 
shape to explore. And it's going to be infinitely complex. It's, it, you can zoom in on it forever, and it continues to have complexity at all scales. But if you change the formula to Z complex conjugate, we call Z bar, Z bar squared plus C, you get a different shape. You get a new universe to explore. Each of these shapes is an entire universe that's infinite in terms of you can zoom in on it forever. It's infinitely small, if you will. You can zoom in on it forever. It's not made of atoms, so it doesn't stop at any point. And, uh, and there's an infinite number of them. So it's not that God's mind is just infinite. It's infinitely infinite. He has, for his own pleasure, for his glory, and perhaps partly for our enjoyment as well, he has built into mathematics an infinite number of infinitely large or infinitely small universes that have tremendous beauty for us to, for us to explore and to enjoy. Only God can exhaust the riches of them because each one is infinite. Excellent, excellent stuff, man. And it makes you feel good. You know, when we talk about this stuff, Dr. Lyle, it makes you just have a great amount of confidence in in, in our in our faith, man. You know, throughout life, you know, we waver. We sometimes get, have those gray areas where we're sort of frustrated or even lacking faith at times, you know, in Christ, because maybe something's going on, you know, in our lives. But when we look at the the beauty of creation, when we take, when we're able to take a glimpse into the mind of God through these, uh, through these fractals, you know, it is incredible, and it's it's a confident builder, you know. Um, and I, you know, at my church, I teach the youth. You know, I teach my the junior high and high school students, and you know, they're bombarded with this kind of stuff, especially in the secular high school, secular junior high schools. You know, they're bombarded with this this evolutionary talk, and if you let the schools tell it, you know, man, a whole bunch of our kids will lose faith you know but if they you know just look but looking at the design and looking at the intricacies of god's design and like i said taking a glimpse into the mind of god we have confidence in our faith we have a tremendous amount of confidence in our in our in our faith you know we have a reasonable faith you know it's, it's not one that's just just flimsy out there you know so won't you speak to that a little bit and how we look at we could look at things like the tricorn and look at the things of the the, the Mandelbrot, you know, speak to that a little bit and how it can encourage uh, the believer. Yeah, not only is Christianity reasonable, I would argue it is the only reasonable position. Anything mm. else ultimately boils down to absurdity. Certainly, atheists can't make sense of the shapes that are in this book. They can't make sense of it. No human being sat down and drew these things. They're infinite. Human beings don't have enough time to do that. And no computer generated it. Um, people think, well, you used a, gener you used a computer to, dis to discover these shapes. That's true. But um, you could theoretically do them by hand. It would just take forever. The computer just does it quickly. It, it discovers which points belong very quickly because it can do calculations very, very fast. But the, sh the, the shapes are determined by the rules of mathematics and, and the particular formula that you use. And so it's something, that's something that human beings don't decide. God decides that. God decides mathematical truths. We just observe them. We discover them over time. And there's, there's extensive discussion in the book on that, on that topic to kind of bring people up to speed. Because I know most people haven't given that a lot of thought. And that's, that's fine. But we need, to, uh, uh, we, we need to explore this because it is something that demonstrates the Christian worldview and puts to, uh, reduces to absurdity any alternative. Uh, people say, well, no, human beings invented laws of math. No, because the planets obey laws of math and the planets were orbiting just fine before human beings came along. 
uh, in, in the Christian worldview, it was only for a few days, but even in the secular worldview, it was for billions of years. The, the Kepler's law, for example, Kepler's third law, which says the period of a planet squared is proportional to its distance cubed. Uh, and so that's a mathematical rule that existed before any human minds were around to discover it. So humans didn't make math. We discovered mathematical truths, and, I, and, and only the Christian worldview makes sense of that. Because it's the Christian worldview where we have a God who is responsible for not only the physical creation, but abstract truth as, as well. Truth is that which corresponds to the mind of God. Something is true if it's something God thinks. And so God's mind is different from ours. God's mind determines what's true. Our minds discover what's true, and, and not always correctly. Sometimes we make mistakes, obviously. But, uh, but my point is it's the Christian worldview that can account for that. And I would argue no other worldview can do that. And, and that, that confirms what the Bible says in places like uh, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you mm -hmm. want to you know things about anything, it, it has to start with uh, the Christian worldview. It doesn't mean you have to profess it. It means it has to be true for us to have knowledge about anything. And so I think Christians should take great comfort in the fact that our system of faith is one that is objectively provable, by virtue of the fact that any alternative reduces to absurdity. And it doesn't matter what the alternative is. If it's not the Christian worldview, it can't make sense of things like mathematical truth or why the physical universe obeys them. And that's another topic that's in this book that is worth exploring. Why does the physical universe obey math? I can explain that as a Christian because the physical universe is controlled by the mind of God, the mind that's responsible for math. So of course the universe will obey math. It has to, it's the same creator. Uh, but in the secular worldview, that's just another amazing coincidence. And the, the best minds, I, I, I quote some uh, secular uh, scholars in the book, or at least one in particular, who tries to come up with uh, an explanation for why the physical universe obeys math, and he can't do it on the secular mm -hmm. worldview. It can't be done. Uh, there's no explanation for that. The Christian worldview, it makes sense. Now, that's not to say we're going to understand everything about God. But we do have a, a worldview that can make sense of the basic things that, that people take for granted, like mathematical truths and the fact that physics obeys math and things of that nature. The Christian worldview makes sense of that. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. Confidence builder there, Dr. Jason Law. Confidence builder there. All right. Also in your book, you talk about sign function, uh, sign function. So what do you what, what is that? And maybe you can go into that a little bit. Yeah, this, so um, after having explored the Mandelbrot set and other variations of it, like the Multibrot and the Tricorn, uh, uh, the the Multibrot, those are most of those are, are polynomials where you have just you know a, a number to a power, but there are other functions in math like the sine function. That's something you'd learn in a in a class on trigonometry. You have sine, cosine, and tangent, and there are other uh, less used functions. Those are the big three that you would learn in a trigonometry class, and um, for, for me, what I wanted to do is say, okay, what if I use those as the formula? Uh, instead, of, instead of z squared plus c, what if I use sine of, of z uh, plus c? And it, it, it turns out you get another shape. You get It's incredibly beautiful, the shape that you get. And so from my perspective, it was not so much the sine function itself that I was interested in as the resulting map that you get when you, when you plot it, when you plot which points stay bound under iteration. And, and some of my favorite shapes are from the sine function. They're incredibly beautiful. So uh, it's just another formula to try and to see if there's beauty built into it. And it turns out there's a lot of beauty built into the sine function. It's amazing. And so, you know, we think of that as dealing with triangles. This, the sine function would be 
the uh, uh, the opposite leg divided by the uh, hypotenuse in a, in a right triangle, and so that it, that would be the corresponding angle there. But that doesn't really matter in terms of this book. I just wanted to see what happens when you see which points are bound under recursive iteration under the sine formula, and what you get, and you get an amazing shape. So it, it's another it's another universe to explore that's infinite. And you, again, you could spend the rest of your life studying that one shape and you would never discover even all. In fact, you'd never discover 1% of it because it's infinite. And that, Interesting that stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's amazing. It's amazing to really begin to dive into this stuff, man. Like I said, when we're, when we're, when God reveals certain things to us and he's, a, he lets us in, you know, there are many things that we don't know about God. God is infinite. He, he's, he's, he's immutable. You, you can't understand God right but there's you, you can't fully understand God but there are certain things that God is really letting, letting us in he's giving us the inside look and it's important for us as Christians to be able to take those things into consideration and dive into that because what it do what does it do not only does it give our faith confidence give us confidence to stand boldly in front of this world and proclaim Christ as our savior, but it also lets us in, it grows more intimate with God, you know, by God allowing us to see, hey, this is, this is a part of my thinking. This is how I am. This is my nature. It draws you even closer to the Lord, you know, and it makes you just happy to be that he drew you out your sin. You know, you have a more thankful attitude when, you, when you're able to have that understanding and be able to come to the realization like, hey man, this is designed by god this has god written all over it you know so it's it's awesome very awesome also in your book you speak of physical fractal frac uh, frac fractals i've been struggling with that word all day physical fractals right me i'm a physical person i like hands-on doing things hands-on uh whenever i can illustrate something draw it out that helps me understand and i'm sure there's plenty of people in the audience that are the same way um would you give us some examples of those physical fractals so that we sort of can sort of drill it down to something that to some anyway makes more a little more sense sure yeah and uh, unlike the mathematical fractals physical versions don't go on forever because eventually you zoom in you get down to the level of atoms and they're not fractal they don't resemble the whole shape but nonetheless there are physical versions of fractals that when you zoom in on them you get a smaller version of the entire shape uh, certain ferns when you zoom in on a fern the the each leaflet of a fern resembles the entire fern, like a smaller version of the entire fern, in that it, you know, the, the main stem branches, and then the branches branch into smaller branches, and they branch into smaller ones, and so on. The way trees branch, you have the stem, and then it splits off, and then they split off, and then they split off, like a smaller version of the entire tree, really. Uh, certain cloud formations, you zoom in on the cloud, the way it kind of, uh, uh, the, the way it sort of uh, fragments, I should say. When you zoom in on that and you see that it fragments into smaller fragmentations and so on, it kind of resembles the original. Or coastlines, the way coastlines branch, where you zoom in on them and then they, they kind of wiggle the same way. Uh, certain spiral galaxies, when you zoom in on the spiral, you see kind of a smaller version of the entire spiral. Uh, chambered nautilus would be another example. Very common example would be snowflakes. Snowflakes, when you zoom in on them under a microscope, you see smaller, kind of smaller versions of the entire flake and that they have that, that six-fold uh, symmetry. I used to be fascinated with the uh, the frost that would grow on the windows in wintertime, and it would form these amazing fractal shapes. Like that's that's astonishing. How does that happen? And, and I, as a Christian, can make sense of that because uh, the universe obeys math, and I can make sense of why the universe obeys math because it's upheld by the mind of God. Mm -hmm. The uh, brilliant physicist Eugene Wigner 
wrote a wonderful article, I think it was back in the 70s, called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in the Natural Sciences, where he ponders this question as to why is it that the physical universe obeys math? And that's why you can have fractals in the physical world, because they, they reflect math. That makes sense. But why do they reflect? Why does the physical world obey math? Math is in, it takes place in the mind. Mm. The universe doesn't know how I think, does it? Right, no, right. But it knows how God thinks, because God's thinking upholds creation. And so if you recognize math as a reflection of God's thinking, of course the universe will obey math. But Eugene Wigner, in his article, apparently from a secular perspective, indicates that the miracle of the appropriateness of the language of mathematics for the formulation of physical laws, he says it's a wonderful gift which we neither understand nor deserve. And that's the best that the secular view has to offer. It's just wow. it's just kind of amazing. Whereas from the Christian worldview, we can say, well, that makes sense to us. We, yeah. that we would expect that. And we expect to continue to find that to be useful. The fact that the universe obeys equations like E equals MC squared and F equals MA. That makes sense. It's upheld by the mind of God. And fortunately, God has designed the universe in such a way that we can understand at least part of it. And usually that opens up more questions and then we can explore those. And that opens up another question. It's kind of fractal itself in that it, yeah, yeah. The, more you, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know very much. But uh, that, that's the nature of God. And we're going to spend, those of us who are redeemed, those of us who receive Christ as Lord and Savior, repented of our sins, we're going to spend all eternity exploring the infinite facets of God himself, just in the same way that you could spend your life studying a fractal and never and never come to the end of it. Wow, wow, wow. Such an amazing, amazing thing. So also in your book, you speak of scepters on seahorses. I think that's scepters on seahorses. So I, when I first looked at it, I was like, well, this is probably uh, maybe a, 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 an additional part of talking about the Valley of the Seahorses. But I, there's some difference there. There, there's a little bit of of difference there. Do you mind going into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So you have the Valley of the Seahorses on the main cusp, the the cardioid, and then you get the main, what's called the main disc. That's the that's the largest circle that's next to the cardioid. The seahorse valley is in between those two. Now, if you go to the next valley, where the large circle connects to a smaller circle, and you zoom in on that one, you'll find what they call scepter valley. And it looks a lot like Seahorse Valley, except the seahorses now have a scepter growing out of their head. So they're, they're sea unicorns, I guess. And uh, so it's just another, it's another valley to explore. And so I began exploring these scepters and you get beautiful shapes built into them. So it's just another example of the, the, the infinite complexity of the shape. And, and, and by the way, I have to point out, if people, get the, um, if people get the book, I've included software in the book where they can explore this shape for themselves if you have access to a computer. Uh, you can explore these shapes uh, if you get it. In fact, if you get it through the Biblical Science Institute website, we'll send you a CD that has all the pictures in the book on the CD, electronic versions. You can take any one of these figures that you want to explore and drop it into the program and continue to zoom in on it. And so wow, you, can, wow. you can explore any of these shapes yourself. So I, I just I just want to share this this universe with folks because it's neat. It's beautiful. And I'm hoping that people will pick up the book and read it and and have fun exploring seahorse valley and valley of the scepters and elephants and and I'm, there's probably an infinite number of shapes in there that no one's even discovered yet because it is an infinite shape uh in in one of the multibrots there's this there's this um threefold structure that looks an awful lot like what those fidget spinners that you see but yeah. it's beautiful and so you can explore these shapes for yourself and if you come up on some new shape you can name it whatever you like because mathematicians have named the main sets 
but it's an infinite shape. So who knows what else, who, who knows what else is in there? Excellent, Only God, excellent so. stuff. It's good stuff. Good stuff. I have a, there's some questions in the audience. You might take some questions, uh, Dr. Lau. Sure. Um, I have some questions. If you guys want to ask Dr. Lau a question, let's try to keep it concerning fractals. I would love for Dr. Lau to just go into it and dive into some of these questions. But, you know, uh, I do have a super chat and I think it's a little bit off subject. Um, <laughs> so, um, we'll take a crack at it. All right, so this is from Carl Roberts. John Calvin and Luther both condemned heliocentricity for the satanic lie that it is. Ask Jason to show some scripture that Earth is spinning globe is a spinning globe. I think we have uh, maybe perhaps we have a flat earther uh, in in a live chat. I believe. Um, well, two different issues. Uh, the, the shape of the Earth could be is independent of its motion. Um, and I think I think it's false about John Calvin, but I do think Luther believed in a geocentric solar system. That was the common belief at the time. Uh, it's not something the Bible teaches. The Bible nowhere says that everything moves around the earth, at least in a Newtonian sense. And that's where people get confused because motion is inherently relative. Uh, when we talk about something moving, we mean it's changing its position relative to something else. And so every every uh, in order to talk about something moving or being stationary, you need a reference frame. What is the reference frame that is used in the Bible? It's the Earth, and frankly, that's the reference frame we, we use in our everyday experience. So, does the Earth move relative to the Earth? Well, no, of course not. Uh, so it, it's stationary in that sense. But you could say the same about Mars. Mars is stationary relative to Mars, but Mars moves relative to the Earth, and therefore the Earth moves relative to Mars. That's that's logically inescapable. So I would argue that the Bible doesn't uh, talk about the um, heliocentric solar system unless you take Isaiah 40:22 to be talking about Earth's orbit. That might indicate that the Earth's orbiting the sun when it talks about the circle of the Earth, but it also might be referring to the spherical shape of the Earth. So I don't use that as a proof one way or the other. It might be an insight into heliocentrism, but um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't force the issue. I, to, to my knowledge, the Bible is silent on the issue of heliocentrism versus geocentrism. It does use the Earth as a reference frame. So do I. If you read my astronomy book, I talk about sunrise and sunset rather than the time at which the horizon uh, transits the sun, something like that. That's awkward. It makes more sense to use the Earth as a reference frame. We do that today. Now, I certainly hope that somebody in the distant future won't look at my book and say, ah, Lyle, he talks about sunrise and sunset. He, he must believe the Earth's stationary and doesn't go around the sun. I hope that they would give courtesy of reading my comments in context, recognizing I, I use the earth as a reference frame. And I would love it if people would show God the same courtesy. Yeah, yeah. I, I misrepresented, he's a he's a geo if, if that makes sense. I probably pronounced that word all, is geocentric? I guess uh, that's that's his position. I didn't mean to call him flat earther. Sorry about that out there. But um, let me see. Also, you you speak of the grand dilemma. What what are, what are we talking about when we talk about the grand dilemma? What is that uh, encompassing? Yeah, I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. But the 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 dilemma is why is it that well there's a, there's a couple in the book, but one of them is why is it that the physical universe obeys mathematical laws? Now, the, it does, certainly. Nobody, nobody disputes that the universe does obey mathematical laws, and thus you can have fractals in nature. They occur in the abstract world of math. Nature obeys math, so you can have fractals in nature. That makes sense. But why does the physical universe obey mathematical laws? 
mathematical laws exist in the mind, but the universe doesn't. Most of the universe, right, is outside my mind. And so how is it that it obeys these mathematical laws that exist in the mind that are conceptual? And the secularists really can't explain that. Some secularists have said, well, math is derived from the universe. It's just a way of describing the way the universe behaves. I'm sorry, but that is not true to the nature of mathematics or in, in terms of the history of mathematics. There were mathematical truths that were discovered long before we found any physical application at all. And there are some mathematical truths that still have no <laughs> physical application. They're true, but they don't necessarily correspond to the universe. In math, you can, you can do math in, in higher level dimensions. You can do math in 50 dimensions if you wanted to. But the physical universe has only three of space and one of time. And uh, maybe some curled dimensions on the quantum level, but it doesn't have 50. In, in math, you can do what's called Hilbert space, uh, where, you where you have infinite number of dimensions. And it's meaningful. It's, it's truthful. But the, the, but the physical universe, that doesn't correspond to the physical universe. So why is it that the uni physical universe does obey mathematical laws? It's not that math reflects the universe. The universe, to some extent, reflects math and in a limited way. Because math is infinite, the universe, we don't know, it might be infinite, it might, it might end at some point or wrap around on itself, we don't really know. So uh, why is it that one obeys math? Why is it that the physical universe obeys math? Again, I would argue the Christian worldview makes sense of that, because the mind of God that's responsible for mathematical truths is the same mind that upholds the physical universe. All right, excellent, excellent stuff. So I think that's all the questions I have for you, Dr. Lyle, concerning fractals. Everyone out there, make sure that you go out and get this book, man. Go out there and support the uh, Dr. Jason Lyle's ministry and, and, and buy this book. Tell people about this book. Uh, Dr. Lyle, where can they purchase this book? I know Amazon, but is there a particular website that you would want to direct everyone to purchase your, 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 new, your new book? Yeah, you can get it through our website, biblicalscienceinstitute.com and go to our web store there. And uh, so biblicalscienceinstitute.com. And if you get it through our website, we'll include a, a CD with the pictures of the uh, fractals and, and fractal graphing software as well. So you can you can explore these shapes yourself. Don't just take my word for it. You can, you can, you can use the computer to explore and zoom in on these uh, for the rest of your life. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'll be posting a link to uh, where we can purchase the book and and make sure that we are flowing people there to support that. Also, before I let you go, you you're also having a uh, aren't you having an event or a conference of some sort in Diamond Bar, California, I believe um, that you're you're signed up for to to I think to teach there or something like that. I don't know exactly all the details. Um, are you in, in California? Uh, not this year, unless there, there's a possible, there's a possible event that I'll have in California in November, but I, it, it, I we're still working on that. I don't have any confirmed events in California gotcha. at this time th for the rest okay. of this year. anyway. Got you. Got you. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I thought, um, I was talking to Denise and I think that I thought she mentioned that, um, it, it that might you, be one that she's working on, but it, it, it'd be okay. one that she'd slip in. It would be in, I think, uh, November if we end up doing that, but it's not confirmed yet. Got you, got you. Cool, Dr. Jason Lyle, thank you so much for joining me, man. It's it's a pleasure, you know, this is the second time you've been on and I'm just glad that you, you took time out your busy schedule to join me on this episode. And and like I said, man, I want to get you on to discuss something with an older creationist or theistic evolutionist, something like that. So I'm working on that, Dr. Lyle, man. I really want to get you on for that, so. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go, Dr. Lyle. You take care of yourself and God bless you, man. I'll be praying for you, praying for your ministry and everything. All right.
Thanks. God bless you. All right. Take care. All right, guys, another great one in the books, man. It's always fun to have guys like Dr. Jason Lau come on and just give us the rundown on uh, just stuff we don't understand, you know, because these guys understand it, right? These guys studied years and years and years of this stuff and has a very, very, uh, a very good understanding of what these are. Fractals, fractals, what an amazing thing, right? Uh, shows God's creation, shows the, the, the level of detail that God goes to creating, right that he puts his signature over everything you know there's not there's not one thing that doesn't have the fingerprint of god on it man and 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 it's important that we understand that like i was pointing to earlier that you know we should look at creation when we view creation we should look at creation from the lens of god if we can you know looking at it from his lens and how he care like how he looks at his creation how we should care for the creation how we should have confidence in the fact that he created these things you know, and Dr. Jason Lau pointed to that there is no other worldview. There are atheistic or any other theistic worldview that has an answer to these, these questions. It's only the Christian worldview that could properly represent and properly answer the questions that are pondering scientists every day. You know, so it's important that we, that we have confidence in our faith. You know, we have a reasonable faith. It is the only reasonable faith, right? So let's make sure that we're diving into this stuff and not growing lots of days ago. And, and, and I know things get hard, things get tough, but faith, uh, creation, looking at creation and looking at these things called fractals, you know, these type of things should be able to help our faith, to increase our faith, strengthen us in the faith, you know, and that we should be uh, thankful that God has revealed himself just such that we can actually see God in creation. If that makes sense. So I thank Dr. Jason Lau for coming on the gospel truth. And I thank everyone who viewed, uh, viewed this show and, uh, make sure you hit that like, make sure you hit that subscribe, please make sure you support the ministry. What a like at the very least, make sure you do that because it's important that you do right. It's important that you do support the ministry. We have a whole bunch of debates coming up. All right. I think the next debate that I have coming up here is, is the angel of Yahweh, also Yahweh. That's uh, with uh, Taylor and Jeremy. So make sure you check that out. That's coming up soon here on the Gospel Truth. So make sure you check in out the Gospel Truth so you don't miss out. All right. Hit that subscribe, hit that notification bell. Now, that said, I'm getting out of here. I thank everyone for joining me on this episode of the Gospel Truth. It is so awesome to have everyone here with me. All right, uh, let me get this thing out. Hold on, yeah, buddy. All right, but I thank everyone for joining me on this episode. May God bless you and may God keep you. I am gone.